Hello, hello, and welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. Today, I'm talking with Krista Biegler all about eczema. Krista is an award-winning dietitian nutritionist, online educator, and host of the Less Stress Life Podcast. She's the creator of the Less Stressed Approach to Eczema and Fast Track to Fabulous programs. Plus, she regularly guest speaks and educates on the topic of eczema. It was an absolute pleasure talking with her today, all about eczema as she helped to identify key areas to help you recover from it. Here's a clip from today's conversation. I'm going to look at eczema differently than the dermatologist does. And I think that this is more useful in what to do because people, again, we crave a diagnosis. It's like, oh, here's my problem. But once you have the diagnosis, the toolbox is really shallow, which is the entire problem. The toolbox is here's some steroids, which by the way, are just an anti-inflammatory that suppress it at the moment. And they're like, yeah, but it keeps coming back when I take it. Well, yeah, that's like, it's not really fixing the root cause. Yeah, it's just suppressing the symptom at the surface. So that's in the toolbox. And then from a conventional toolbox standpoint, and then from there, it's almost like it jumps to expensive biologics from there. And that's where people are like, wait a second, what? Like I have to go from steroids to that? Like that's the option? There is a protocol from a South African dermatologist. I don't know if you know the Aaron protocol. And that's low-grade antibiotic and low-grade steroid. And that can be really amazing and life-changing for someone who's like covered, like especially a child who's just covered in eczema. And if there's a staph infection thing, that is a potential quick win in a few days, depending on the severity of it. That's just a small taste of the amazing show we have for you today. Hey, before we get started, I want to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that, of course, is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. And if you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you are placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. And Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 25 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. So if you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's get on with the show. Krista, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I am so excited to have you on today. And I could not be happier to be here, graced by your awesome neon sign in the background. (laughs) And this is... I love when people say this when I talk to them as potential clients and they're like, I'd like to get to the root cause of this. I'm like, you are awesome. Yeah. You know, and that's, that is the movement of medicine. If we want to change medicine, you just have to start with yourself and say, oh, I would like to stop having Band-Aids. And that's, it's not right or wrong. Like people, and there's a lot of Band-Aids in eczema, honestly, which is our topic. And so anyway, I just freaking love the title. And sometimes you're like, oh, I can't believe that wasn't taken. Good job. Good job for snapping that up. Way to go. Yeah, I wish I'd have thought of that five years ago. Root Cause Medicine (laughs) Podcast. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's the truth though, because you're right. A lot of people are looking, especially the last couple of years, people are looking for quick fix. What's the pill? What's the one pill that I can take to rule them all? And I'm like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Or maybe there is a pill that will temporarily, as we get in the top effect of eczema, people go, oh, but I love steroids because it gets rid of my eczema. I'm like, well. Yeah, it's like taking the batteries. Stop them and let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like taking the batteries and it's not right or wrong. Yeah. I mean, if you need to sleep, by all means, use steroids. Sure. It's just that there is a titration where you're supposed to come off of them and that doesn't happen and it's not educated about. And so there's just shockingly, there's a lot of not that awesome information about eczema. And I guess I'm just blessed with a useless brain full of it, right? So here we are. Let's, let me tell you everything. I, I'm, let me just share it with the world so we can have more people that can work on this, please. That'd be fantastic. I love it. Well, actually, for those who don't know you, why don't you do a little like a brief introduction of who you are, how you got into this, what you stand for, so they know. Yeah, sure. Well, I'm the host of the Less Stress Life podcast. If you're a podcast listener, my honor if you'd pop over there, if you'd like what you hear today. Otherwise, if you're like, oh, she's too much, then probably don't come over there. Oh, no. So I am in private practice. We work on inflammation, food sensitivities, fatigue, but eczema has been a big underpinning for a long time. And that's because our stories form us and shape us and people find... I don't have to write hardly eczema on my website. They just all find me. And so sometime early on when I was transitioning from doing different, working in, let's just say conventional medicine into private practice and integrative medicine, 
There was a lot of stress. I had a young family and there was a straw that broke the camel's back. Now, going back a decade or two before that, I'd had eczema that I thought very common things people say. I think it's genetic. My sisters get this. I think it's dry skin in the winter. I put a little thing on it. It's not really hurting my life. So it's not really that big of a deal. And then it does. And then you actually do, you do rearrange your life around it. You actually buy different clothes and things to work around this skin issue, even if you don't think you're doing it. And so the tipping point of this was I took my kids to swimming lessons for five days in a row. And this is odd because usually the eczema presented in the winter and I have feelings about why this happens that you cannot find in books and we can talk about them. And so it was odd because usually I'm more of like a winter dominant eczema person, dry skin, whatever. And in, in at that time, after five straight days at the pool, I broke out in this insane rash around my eyes. It was red, cracked, oozing, swollen. I mean, it was like painful, painful hurting. And unfortunately, it took me about a year to clear it. Now, I don't think it needs to take people that long. I just couldn't find anyone to help me right. <laughs> very well. Like I yeah. went to all kinds of people and did a lot of things and it took a while. And I was able to clear it by doing gut, liver, et cetera work, kind of like the things that we do in integrative medicine. And I think that your story is never really fully over. And I've learned in the past couple of years, like how much halogens probably played a bit of an issue with that because chlorine was a bit of a trigger for me. Whereas chlorine for some, depending on how your eczema is styled, it can actually be helpful because it's like controlling that topical staff. So whereas for me, I actually have PTSD, getting in pools, getting in hot tubs, being in chlorine for long periods of time for all those things. So that's kind of like where, how I got into this topic and then ended up helping some kids with it. 10 to 20% of kids are affected by eczema, one to 3% of adults. Everyone knows someone with eczema or a skin rash or whatever, whether it's diagnosed or not. And so, yeah, the rest is kind of history from there, but that's where it all kind of started. And then there are, turns out many options for resolving it. And yeah, so anyway, I'll let you answer whatever or ask whatever questions you want there. Cause I, <laughs> it's really easy for me to talk for a long time. So no, this is good. Well, I mean, actually, so my next question is for the people who don't know, how would they know if they have eczema, right? Like if they're like, oh yeah, I get a little patch of dry skin, but it goes away. Like, is that eczema? As opposed to, I have a history of eczema. I had eczema up until my mid twenties. Once I cleaned up my gut fix and mine was gut diet related. And it completely went away. But I knew, I mean, I would get these large patches on the, my inner arm, on my eyelids. And I was like, oh, that's eczema. So if somebody's like, what's the difference between dry skin in the winter or versus these like patches that I get? Well, there are like at least 10 different subtypes of eczema. So backing up to answer that question in a way that's useful in a couple different contexts, I, I think is, I think we want a diagnosis or we crave a diagnosis. And to me, when I look at it, I'm like, I care about that diagnosis if it's a fits eczema versus psoriasis. For some reason, psoriasis is a little more annoying, finicky. Right. But a lot of stuff is eczema, or because eczema is synonymous with the words atopic dermatitis, seborrheic dermatitis, scalp dermatitis. There's like a lot of different flavors of how you can talk about this. Numular eczema, which is like round patches, having like a nickel sensitivity. So there's like at least 10 or more subtypes. So technically, you need to go to your physician to get a diagnosis, but sometimes they look at it. They're like, oh yeah, it's eczema, whatever. And so officially, like, what do we agree on? What do we not agree on? I mean, I'm not a diagnostic clinician, so it doesn't really matter to me what the diagnosis is as long as I recognize it, hear the stories, et cetera. And I'm like, oh, well, here's how I think we could resolve it. That's what I more care about a little bit, but the diagnosis can be important to differentiate between, I think, eczema and psoriasis. So how do you know you have eczema? Technically, you go to your doctor and get a diagnosis. Technically, right? If it, but eczema can look differently. It can look like dry, flaky, patchy on the scalp. It can look like round spots. Very commonly as a child, it starts or early on, I would call this gut mediated for sure. It's on the typical places, inner elbows behind the knees. That's like classic eczema 101 classic, right? And that kind for sure is very staff driven. So what we can agree on if we're talking about like, well, how do we know if we have eczema? Unanimously, we do agree that there's a Staphylococcus aureus overgrowth component topically. Like that is something we agree on worldwide, I think. That doesn't matter what provider it is. So we know there's a staph overgrowth on the skin. And big like flag here, if there's a staph infection, like active, and it's like raging, oozing, red, just like horrific. When I see a picture, I'm like, you need, this is a staph infection. You need to go and get something on that. Because if you have a staph infection topically, you're not going to be able to uh, soothe the fire from the inside. Like it's just like on fire on the outside. So you need to like put out the fire on the outside to correct it on the inside. There's just too much going on. There's like infection outside and inside and the outside infection is like bonkers. So 
We know that staph overgrowth is a key factor all over the body. And when we scratch one place, then we scratch a different place. We translocate that bacteria and we spread it around. Oh, people yeah. don't really think about that. Yeah. So that is how, that's like a classical concept of eczema is staph overgrowth. And by the way, I've never seen a GI test without staph overgrowth on the inside on anyone with eczema. Never, ever, ever. Now, are there other things going on? Yeah, for sure. But I've never seen one without staph overgrowth. So that's cool because it's very validating, right? So like we know it's like skin grows from the inside out, duh. And so you're going to see staph on the inside, staph on the outside. So if there's a staph infection, if it's red, oozy, burning, whatever, just flag right here. If you're listening to this and you have eczema and you have infection, you're better off to just go get like some kind of low-grade topical antibiotic something because if you don't put that infection out, you're it's not worth it. Right. Like you're just miserable. So that's the time where you go and get that done. So your question was, how do you know if it's eczema? <laughs> and there I went off on a, a bit of a tangent. So there's staph overgrowth. There's different types. We treat them the same, but not everyone. Like sometimes the staph isn't the only thing. There's like layers. So for me, I subtype it in my brain. I was accidentally doing this as I would talk to people. And it's like, what layers do you have with eczema? Because there's like a few components. I think we the whole problem with eczema is we want it to be simple. And we want to treat it all exactly the same. And it's not exactly like that. So if it looks differently, so if it's like on the inside of your elbow behind your knee, or if it's round and circular, I would say very, very gut mediated. Or if it's like pink and raised. Now, if you have darker melanated skin, it can appear darker in color. And so actually from a diagnosis perspective, some providers, it is my understanding that some providers um, struggle with diagnosis sometimes just because of skin coloring. And so anyway, having someone who understands that can be yeah. good. Or if you if it feels like you didn't really get a very good diagnosis or a good visit the first time, just get another opinion, of course, right? Right, right. So I subtype eczema from, I'm going to look at eczema differently than the dermatologist does. So I don't know if you want to talk about that. That would help me kind of categorize it a little bit and tell you yeah. about it. And I think that this is more useful in what to do because people, again, we crave a diagnosis. It's like, oh, here's my problem. But once you have the diagnosis, the toolbox is really shallow, which is the entire problem. The toolbox is here's some steroids, which by the way, are just an anti-inflammatory that suppress it at the moment. And they're like, yeah, but it keeps coming back when I take it. Well, yeah, that's like, it's not really fixing the root Surprise. cause. Yeah, it's just <laughs> suppressing the symptom at the surface. So that's in the toolbox. And then from a conventional toolbox standpoint, and then from there, it's almost like it jumps to expensive biologics from there. And that's where people are like, wait a second, what? Like I have to go from steroids to that? Like that's the option? There are, there is a protocol from a South African dermatologist. I don't know if you know the Aaron protocol mm -mm. and that's a low grade antibiotic and low grade steroid. And that can be really amazing and life-changing for someone who's like covered, like especially a child who's just covered in eczema and if there's a staph infection thing. So there's actually a lot of great stuff online. There's a good Facebook group that goes through it and has providers in different countries that will write the prescription to compound that. And I will mention that because that, again, like if your baby was covered in eczema for your own stress level, you need a life change really quickly, right? So yeah, yeah. that is a potential quick win in a few days, depending on the severity of it. But if it's kind of mild-ish, which I would say, my clients have ranged the gamut over the years, right? <laughs> Mild-ish. And that's where I, I always need a picture to look at it. But anyway, so we're talking about gut-mediated. I was going to talk about the three types. Gut-mediated. That means like when we do stuff on the inside of the gut, we're going to get a lot of ROI there, okay? That's going to be most kids. How's that going to look on the outside? That's going to look like it's worse in the heat in the summer and allergy season. It's going to look a little histamine-driven. I always struggle. We can define that if we need to. I always struggle talking about that without defining it because I think the internet's not a great source of information on that. Yeah, but it may be more like of a... It may coincide more with other allergies. So I think that that's gut-mediated eczema. And then... So this is like baking a cake here and there's layers. So that's like the easiest in my opinion. If it's round and circular or looking at those, I'm like, easy peasy, let's do this, right? And then it gets a little more complicated. So then we add on the liver. So... Let's talk about liver for a second. Your skin is a potential place. It's a mechanism for your body to get rid of garbage. And so it's a safe place for your body to get rid of garbage. And so if things are, as a baby and as a child, you're growing and developing and all those things. So what like affects what's going on in the liver? What your inputs are, your genetics, what the current lifestyle factors are, what's going on in your gut, just gut liver connection. I always like to use this analogy of a dandelion. Like the dandelion is like the imbalance of bacteria. Like there's always going to be weeds in a lawn. But when the dandelion like lets off all of its seeds or endotoxins, that's when it adds more burden to the liver because something's got to take out this trash. And so how do we eliminate or detoxify? We, we eliminate or detoxify through bowels, through urine and the bile production, and then your skin and respiration. And we usually don't think about respiration unless there's forest fires, which I know were happening for you last year. Prevalent. Mm -hmm. But skin is just a safe place for your body to get rid of garbage. And so we often like hate our body or we hate ourselves when things like this are happening. I'm like, 
maybe instead of hating it, it's like, this is the only way it could tell you. It's like screaming, right? And especially in my case, I was ignoring low-grade other symptoms for sure. I was totally ignoring fatigue, throat clearing, just like little sneaky things, the whispers of the body until it was like, hey, you weren't listening. So here you go. Here's like a giant rash all over your face and neck. Good luck with that. That'll be fun for you. Because what happens is there becomes a lot of like emotional stigma around appearance. I actually liken, I think the reason that there's not more practitioners that work with eczema is people want, I actually like compare it to weight all the time because it's an external visible thing that makes us feel emotionally not awesome about ourselves. And so we want instant stuff and it's fine to want, I mean, we're humans. I never like think it's bad to be a human being, right? It's just like, oh, I'm just recognizing my human behavior. I would like an instant fix yesterday. Right, So right. Okay, so we have gut type, right? And that can look a certain way. And then we have liver type. So anyway, liver type, what are some dead ringers for that? You have said in your life, I have sensitive skin. I am sensitive to smells. There's a whole bunch of things. It's a little more gray because there's not great labs for this. I don't think personally, because if your liver enzymes are elevated, like you're a hot mess probably actually, or there's something more severe going on. There's just, I don't think, and you can mm-hmm. chime in too. I don't think there's amazing labs for this. Eye eczema, according to Chinese medicine, I found it proven correctly every single time. Anytime someone's got something pretty severe, I also had it around my eye, which is why I cared about that. Worse in the winter versus the summer, like it looks a little bit worse and it looks a little more dry and flaky. I think that's more of a, like a liver profile overall, where I want to support the liver with phosphatidylcholine, maybe some glutathione. I mean, the liver is just insanely nutrient dependent, right? And so reduce the input of garbage coming in, which is a lot of things. It's a lot of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, how do we, how deep do we want to talk about it? Reduce the input of trash coming in, which could be all kinds of things in your life, what you're breathing, what you're putting on your skin, what's the fragrances, what's in your home, if there's any mold stuff, which is a whole annoying topic, and then improve your ability to take things out or the garbage out because otherwise the skin's just a safe place for it to come out, right? So we talked about gut type. So I'm just using this in my brain to determine where to start, which is going to give me... Because if I, if someone's got like a lot of... If they're struggling to eliminate stuff, which in general, if you have eczema, you're struggling to eliminate stuff, obviously. It's just a matter of like how severe is it? Yeah. And you look at that from the other symptoms. I was doing a case review this morning and the woman had melanoma history in her family. And I have just thoughts about the way cells divide and autophagy works, right? So if you're not clearing out debris, then it's a toxic burden issue potentially, right? And so you have disease cells replicating, which is... Anyway, we don't have to... I don't like... I don't feel like I'm a weirdo for that. I'm like just thinking through the like physiology. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, so melanoma history. And then she noted allergies to different medications, like liver, liver, liver. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there were some other things. And so they tend to just like feeling fatigued or uh, there's just so many, so many things around liver. So for me, I just want to, if someone really is struggling with like clearing waste and trash and you react to medications, you react to supplements or whatever, if you're struggling to clear that stuff. I want to support your clearance because if we just like kill all the dandelions, they still have to be taken out. And so if you aren't able to clear that out first, so if you start some kind of gut protocol and the skin looks worse, Sometimes in some places, they've really accepted that. I would rather that not happen if we could at all avoid that, but it can because that's what happens. So if we up the amount of trash that needs to be taken out, it could actually look worse in the very short term. So if you can recognize that there's these liver components or like understand, hey, this person seems like they have like really sluggish elimination and you can support that first. I call it unkinking the hose. Like who You can't turn up a garden hose and it's all kinked. Like it's not just not gonna work, right? You know, unkink the hose of like making sure elimination is working. So if you're not having a bowel movement, duh. If you're not hydrating well, duh, right? Like those are the first things that you can do well. Sweating is one of my very favorite things. In fact, my eczema got 85 or 90% better. People could not see it. I could feel the roughness on my skin right here. And it did not get all the way better until I brought in like infrared sauna and sweating that out and whatnot at the end of that year. Wow. Yeah, so I was later valid. Again, we love our validation. And so later on, and I don't, do a ton of genetic work just because it kind of like hurts my brain. And like from a clinical perspective, it is useful, but not like the first step to me for how I would, I just am like, what's going on in your life first versus your genetics. We tend to over blame things on genetics, but I do know what my genetics look like. And I do know that I was not handed the most amazing gut and liver genetics. And so it's validating to say, oh, my genetics always suck. And I'm never done helping my body clear out waste. Mm -hmm. So if my body odor starts smelling, like this is just me being weird. I'm like, when it starts smelling like not amazing, I'm like, I better get in the sauna and clear this like waste out. Those are like signs and symptoms to me personally of me listening to my skin whispers. I've also given this example quite a bit because I think even when your rash is gone, you're still healing for a while. 
So when I travel, I like to indulge and do all the things. My husband taught me that skill and it's a great skill. And so I like to drink all the coffee from all the places. And anyway, I have an interesting history with coffee because I think of coffee's got issues. It does. And so anyway, I have gone on vacation and drank all like the crappy coffee and from different from maybe some big chains. Mm -hmm. And after like three or four days, had a sensation around my eye where I used to have eczema. Nothing presented. I was like, hmm, better back up from that toxic burden I was throwing in my body and really support how I'm clearing that out. So I'm telling you these weirdo things because (laughs) this is part of listening to your body before it like screams at you, right? So anyway, so we talked about gut. We talked a little bit about liver. I could yap about that and I should shut up so you can ask. And there's one more subtype. So I'm gonna... No, go for that other subtype. Go finish out the subtype. All right, great. So the last one I think is really stress dominated. Ah. And there's a few dead ringers for this. If you have hand eczema, And especially a lot of times what happens is if you've had eczema in your history and then the last thing you get is it on your hands or you have never had it and you just get it on your hands. And we're actually going through quite a bit of a, I would call it a hand eczema epidemic in the last two years. And I think it's in part due to a lot of use of alcohol on the hands because we have a phospholipid layer on the skin that's antimicrobial and protective. And when we like routinely apply alcohol and strip that away, we now allow overgrowth to like come in and colonize. It would be like, It's like hitting your gut with antibiotics consistently all the time instead of, yeah, like on your hands essentially. So it allows this to overgrowth because that happens. People sometimes say, I love when people come to me and they're like, hey, my child had this happen at birth and then they had antibiotics and then then they started getting eczema. Well, that makes sense because when you kill all the grass on weeds, weeds tend to grow back first. And so it's easy for staff to overgrow, especially depending on what's in the environment and colonizing the microbiota. Same thing for the hands. So I think in general, I'm seeing a worsening, but also the last couple of years were really stressful for people in addition, right? So that's a huge one. Stress is dumping a variety of nutrients. That's actually like part of my like shtick, right? It's like, man, stress dumps out, dumps out all these nutrients that are like implicated in this, B5, pantothenic acid, all these things. And so stress, people just like, I have kind of a questionnaire and it's actually really hard to get the stress dominant type. And I think people, the best, my biggest like issue in life and practice that I'm like, the, my mountain I'm trying to cross right now in practice and in life is like, how do you help people realize that they have stress that they're like discounting or ignoring or just shoving under the rug? And they're like, this is, it, I'm stressed, but it's like not my problem. And so, because we really have to change how we're processing things inside the nervous system. So the dead ringer would be like hand eczema majorly, but also like when some giant stressor happens, when you have like a huge flare. And so for me, it's just layers. Stress is like the first layer that needs to be supported. For me, I'm supporting it from physiological inputs, like nutrients, replacing nutrients. Because if you've lost all these nutrients from stress and potassium, like all of a sudden other things start breaking down, unfortunately. The problem is, is like I can fill in all the nutrients and try to rebuild mitochondria and try to rebuild those adrenal glands. If you don't stop pouring in the stress, it's like really hard to fill the bucket. So gut mediated, that's the easiest one, the most common one, the most common in kiddos. Liver being added to the layers and then you just kind of start and make sure you're supporting that area with all those potential nutrients. So my approach is like, what can we do more of instead of less of? which I think is a good angle. And I think I hope functional medicine is kind of heading that direction because we've been in a big restriction kind of phase for a decade or two. And it's time to be like, what can we add more of potentially without being overwhelming? And then the last one is stress. So when I'm looking at someone's case, that's kind of the lens I'm looking at it with versus to answer your original question, how does someone know when they have eczema? I'm like, well, I just like look at how it looks, where it's presenting on the body. Some places are more characteristic to certain systems being overloaded just based on what I've seen in, in clients, right? So that's kind of how I'm looking at it to assemble my care plan of like, here's what's going to work the fastest and what needs to be filled in. And here's the gaps that have been created because there is testing to be supportive. But one of my, and I mean, this could be a bone of contention depending on who you're talking to, but I'm guessing you, you would agree with me. Testing is not like, it's just like when you want a diagnosis for validation, testing is not like your end all be all. You need to know what to do with it. And not all tests are perfect. Yeah. So it's like, you can go have a liver enzyme test and it can be totally normal and you can still be having this kind of eczema present. I mean, it's just not that sensitive. So you've got to be able to read between the lines on testing, which that's going to be the thing for us as people helping other people get into this kind of work and do great work and do fulfilling purpose-filled work is going to be, how do you help that person and see them as a person and help their specific thing and look beyond tests? Because... That's where I'm seeing... That's the unfortunate... Like That's my gripe of the, of the week or the month or really my sad feelings on the inside. It's like, I used to see people coming because they were like, oh, I, I would like something besides steroids and I understand that I'm not addressing the root causes. And now I'm getting clients that I've already seen 
a provider who works on root cause medicine, but they're not getting results because we're looking too hard at testing and not the person and our protocols are not effective and things like that. So I think symptoms need to speak as loudly or more loudly than tests, but that's just my two cents on that. How often do you see it overlap? Gut, liver, stress? Oh, all the time. Is there ever a time where you're like... Oh, it's all of them. So so if you have stress, you already have the other two probably. And if you have liver, you still need to fix the gut. It's just that it's more of an order of operations. Like how severe is it? And I think the longer you have it, the more the layers land. So like you could have had a really common situation is someone as a child has eczema, they outgrow it. And eczema is part of the atopic march, which is allergy. It's like you can have eczema and then you can have allergies and asthma, like in whichever order. So, and as you know, our microbiome gets really developed by age three. So sometimes people have it and then they outgrow it. There's all kinds of different situations. But a lot of times as a child, people will say, oh, I had that as a child, outgrew it, and then it recurred in the future. And I think at that point, a lot of times the liver has gotten burdened. And it's like, you already had the genetic, I call genetics like the cards or the potential to like win or lose a game. And then what's going on in your life, inside your body, just all those things program how the genetics operate. So if we wanted to talk briefly about like histamine, which I alluded to a little bit in the gut mediated type, there are genes that allow that to be broken down. And if there is gut imbalances, those genes that program the enzymes to break that down just do not work as efficiently. So when we're overwhelming them with stuff, which our life does overwhelm, our body's wicked smart. So it wants to get rid of all that. It wants to break it down and get rid of anything we don't need. And so it just cannot do it properly because there's like roadblocks in the way. And we just have to get rid of the roadblocks and rebalance things. So... So I like to oversimplify it like that. But yeah, they're always overlapping. But the best case scenario is that there's just like gut and it's not that much like you... And sometimes you you start to work on the gut because you're like, oh yeah, this is very clear gut. And then they have like a slightly worsening rash because you couldn't take out all those dead dandelions. And so then you're like, oh, I actually have to go back and unkink the hose. So I, one of the expressions I like to use all the time is like, no symptom's a bad symptom. It's all helping you understand your body better. It's like, well, why would that happen next, right? And so that's my... yeah. Yeah. Hope is that people can understand those, like the order of operations and, and how their body is acting. And so it's not, that's why eczema gets really frustrating because people do something, they see something get worse. And that may mean it's driven by that thing, or it may mean it's just this stuff can't get out. And so it's kind of like an unfortunate double edged sword sometimes. And when you're doing gut stuff, let's say we start there, does your workup look similar between kids and adults? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'll do a gut, a stool test and tried many. And actually, that's part of my story. I I saw this practitioner's kind of was, I mean, to my opinion at that time, he was like kind of semi-famous for gut work and a lot of things. And he used some testing that I didn't, I don't really think is that amazing, but that's just what you learn and and practice, right? He used some testing I didn't really think was that amazing. I didn't really know it at that time, Yeah, but I did, I think two of them and neither of them showed anything. And I remember him telling me, you could do nothing. And I was like... That's not an option. Yeah. Or you could do this. And so then I unfortunately like did not continue as this client because, right, you told me I could do nothing, which didn't really feel very satisfactory. And that's actually, there's such an emotional overlap in all of our stuff, right? But so I do a gut test that I think is, none of them are perfect. I'll just say that I have what I like. I'm always willing to try something else, but I want it to be clinically useful and to show me enough of what I've, what I want. And like in general, if you're doing a stool test, it's just a snapshot in time. So it's really, it's really affected by everything. Yeah. <laughs> and especially like how people procured the sample and just all kinds of details. So you just do your best with those. And then I listen so much to their symptoms, right? And then and actually this is a great question because this is so affected by kids. And I have so many practitioner friends, like not very many people work with pediatrics. And I think it would be probably a mistake to say PD kids are just small adults, but kind of <laughs> they kind of are. And so with pediatrics, the answer is minimum effective protocol and dosing and then adjust based on what works for them. Yeah. And there's all kinds of interesting stuff. I remember this kid one time, he should have been referred this is years ago, but something scar you or like they're just really stick out in your brain. And he should have been referred earlier for a staph infection because it was so bad. He needed to go in yeah. and have like low dose antibiotics. But some people are like, this is not, I mean, this is like a lot of people probably listening to this podcast. It's like, I want to do the natural thing. So I actually don't want to go get any medication. There's just a time and a place where it's like, if you got like an infection, you're just going to be a lot better off in the future. You're going to be miserable, not sleeping. Baby's going to be crying all the time. Like cut the infection at the end, topically short term, and then it's, and then you're over it. So he needed, he had a staph infection for sure, but they'd gone on a vacation and they were in a, like a rent cabin rental in the woods in rural wherever. And the baby, I think he was like, whatever, he was crawling age and he had gotten into some like bat poop. Oh, 
And when we ended up doing his GI test, he had like some numbers of things I'd never seen at those levels. And so what I ended up doing at that, it was many years ago. So I ended up referring him to peds. But anyway, there's just some interesting stuff, right? Like in that case, it's like, oh, you got to be a little more heavy duty, but that's like a one out of many years situation, right? So I don't know. Am I answering that well enough? I'm happy to like be very, very, very specific, as specific as you want me to be. Yeah. People are going to ask that we're not, you can say whatever you want. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this is the Root Cause Medicine podcast sponsored by Rupa. So I actually, yeah. my test of preference is the GI map by Diagnostic Solutions Laboratories. Okay. They did recently change. I think this is good to talk about because <laughs> it needs to be talked about. They recently changed their testing technology for the bottom of page four. And those intestinal health markers are coming back wonkier than they used to. Like mm-hmm. different, like mm-hmm. the reference ranges probably need to be changed. And I know that that conversation is now happening as of a few months ago because <laughs> we were complaining and they're like, oh, we're hearing that from some practitioners. And I'm like, yeah, I've never seen anticholinergic IgAs this high unless someone has MS, you know, and now it's like a lot. And so I just share, I think what that did was it was just one of those recurring situations where it's like, even when you get comfortable with something, you've got to be able to adjust a little bit. Yeah. And I go by gut sometimes because of clinical experience. And we were talking off air, it's like get mentorship if you need it, because you can learn a lot. I mean, for me, I like have learned so much from my clients and how they react and respond to things as I hope we all do. And then also anytime I got stuck with something, I just sought mentorship for it. So I could get unstuck (laughs) on pretty much everything. So I use that. I like to use that test. It's useful. I always see staff and strep overgrown. Sometimes it's like really amazing and it really helps me target the protocol. And sometimes it's not. And it's okay to say that. Sometimes it's not. It's not anything's fault. And I still make sure my protocol is going to address and treat what I hear in the symptoms and I see in the presentation. Because if I don't, I'm not doing that client any service is my opinion, right? How often do you see candida as a trigger? That's a great question because it doesn't shed out in the stool that often, which was something I learned from a mentor. And I don't think that people really know that. So I'm always screening for fungal symptoms. So candida is like a common strain we discuss. So I'm screening. So I want to to talk about this a little bit. This is really, really helpful. I always screen in symptoms. White-coated tongue, ear itching, vaginal itching, potentially anal itching, athlete's foot, toenail fungus, scalp dermatitis, because malassezia is like shoulders up 70% of the time. So malassezia is like a fungal, I don't know, genus, whatever, whatever biology. This is like the overarching fungal family, I guess. And so I think all the time on the scalp, and I learned this from integrative derm, maybe you had him on at least one, maybe two of them that, and I could be wrong, maybe you'll know, they say a culturing for staph topically is not super accurate either, Right. interestingly enough. Whereas the topical staph culture, I think is pretty accurate, but fungal culturing is not. So again, you kind of have to go by a little bit of like symptoms, what commonly shows up. So my understanding or how I was mentored for this is that candida is only shedding out in the stool, like one in every four or five tests. So I want to make sure my protocol addresses fungus and fungal overgrowth because we have, if like the history includes, I was on antibiotics and actually that's something we need to talk about too because we need to shed light on the fact why relapse potential for eczema. Let me come back to that in a second. So if the story includes, I was on antibiotics and then I had a flare. Well, when you go on antibiotics and you can be useful sometimes, they're life-saving drugs at certain times. They kill all good and bad bacteria, but they also allow fungus to have a party because there's no like balance there. And so if your story includes that, then we can assume that there's going to be some fungal overgrowth stuff. Quick story that may or may not be useful. One time I gave myself a die-off rash from taking Saccharomyces boulardii, which is kind of antifungal. Yeah. Taking much. I'm really good at like using myself as a terrible example for things. Oh, me too, for sure. <laughs> uh, and so it looked like spots all over my body systemically that did not itch. And I've had that only happen to a couple of clients and I was like, oh, it's a die-off rash. But unless I had dealt with that myself, I wouldn't have known that. So fungus showing up on the stool test, usually you're going to see candida if you see it at all. If you're not seeing it, screen for it anyway, and then make sure your protocol addresses. I do protocols in two chunks. I think it's a mistake to do the same thing for the entire duration of a protocol. I think it's a terrible choice. I think you should adjust your protocol. I do one thing one month and one thing another month because there is more going on than what you see on a stool test. So I want to make sure I am listening to symptoms, seeing how things are responding and adjusting and making sure I catch everything I possibly can. Totally. Just depending on that whole situation. So if you see the first one in that fungal section showing up, that is most typical. But what I have decided is that if you're seeing other ones show up in a whole, like in pretty prolific amounts, I'm really going to think about mold a little bit. Like I've just found that that tends to track pretty well. 
And I'm like really sketchily looking at mold anyway because of some client experiences, right? Like, oh, maybe we should be addressing this even when it's moderate and mild. It's still important. That's kind of actually where I think my history is a little bit as well, just because I grew up in, in a basement that I feel was moldy, musty and moldy or whatever. And yeah. if I look at my history and I think about what helped me, choline and glutathione and all these things, I was like, that actually works really well for mold too. <laughs> even if it's really mild. So, and if you have struggled with coffee, it's like, it's such a moldy crop because they soak it, they dry it and then sometimes wet it down because it's paid by weight. And so then you put it in a barrel and it's like, here, here's a lot of moldy beans for you. And so, and we obviously, as I'm drinking coffee right now, and I have no qualms about that. I'm like a, Hey, this is a marker of like how good my health is, how well I tolerate coffee is like a good marker of like how good my systems are working for me right now and what's going on. It's the same thing for tea leaves, right? Tea leaves have the potential to become quite moldy. True. Yeah. True. And chocolate potentially, right? Oh, I know. It's so sad to be very careful. And I know no one wants to say about anything bad about these things, but let's make sure we talk about relapse of eczema after antibiotics, because this again was until I saw it happening in clients, I didn't realize to talk about it. This is so important. You can clear up your eczema, but by the way, you're probably going to have, you have the potential to have it present again because it presented once. So what you need to do is prevent and catch things early. And so if you need to go on antibiotics for X, Y, Z reason, what can happen is three to four weeks later, you can have an eczema flare. Why does that happen? You killed everything. Staff grew back because it was you have potential. Opportunistic. <laughs> exactly. Opportunistic. Yeah. Like, hey, I found some room to grill. Yeah. Like you can keep it and low, like it can, you can live potentially harmoniously with a very low level and never see a symptom of it, right? Like I just don't, I think sometimes, and I actually want to mention this too, because this is like, I like to just look at like, what are the problems people are having right now? And right now I feel like it's good to set goals and have goals and write those down. And are you constantly moving the line on yourself? Like if you accomplish the goal, you're like, but now I want this and that is okay. But like, it's good to like accomplish the goal. Hover, maintain, enjoy. Yeah. It's also, it's like good to, sometimes we're like so hard on ourselves and like, I think we can always be better and we can be better every single year. And if you're in a pretty amazing place now, then freaking awesome for you, right? And maybe you can look forward to improving something else, but there is a bit of an obsession with perfection. And I don't believe that perfection is actually perfectly attainable. That's just my opinion. I don't think it's perfectly... And that doesn't mean you can't have perfectly clear skin. I have very clear skin, right? But like, it's probably about time for me to hit the sun a few days in a row. Like for like... And if I'm going to sit here and drink coffee every day this week, like it definitely is. I'm adding to my toxic burden. Right. Anyway, tangent. Okay, so... If you take antibiotics and a few, like three to four weeks later, you have a little bit of eczema flare, opportunistic stuff. You can do some like low dose. So I I think about this. I use herbs. I'm an herb person. I wish I spoke homeopathy better. I grew up on homeopathy. I wish I spoke it better, but I find herbs are really useful. Herbs are lovely because we borrow. This is how it was phrased to me one time. People are like, well, what's the difference between herbs and antibiotics? Well, it's really hard to simulate nature. (laughs) It seems that apparently like when we use herbs, we don't have so much opportunistic overgrowth as when we use antibiotics. I actually have a really cool story about this. I had this client once and her husband did botanical mold remediation in a humid environment, in a humid state. And so there was always this crap growing on their fence every outside their house and they were always power washing it off. And so it would regrow all the time. They do that every month. And then one time they were like, we should use this botanical mold remediation stuff. It has thyme and other like herbs in it. So they used that and sprayed the fence and it never grew back. And I'm like, that's such a cool external analogy to how I feel like things work on the inside. I mean, certainly there's the repair and repopulate version of the integrative process as well. Of course, you cannot skip that. Never, ever, ever skip it. So if we're having... And that's actually a great like a summary of like, if you have to take pro, if you have to take antibiotics, then it's a good rule of thumb to take some kind of high quality probiotics and maybe prebiotics and maybe some other gut supportive thing for at least three times as long as you took the antibiotics, if not a little bit longer, that can control some overgrowth from happening right away. And then from there, if you have to get a little bit stronger, you can like microdose. So if I, if someone's getting sick, okay, yesterday, my son Max woke up with a hell of a sore throat mm. and I just, you know, have a cabinet of crap. Of course. And I'm like, here are some staff and strap drops, homeopathy that I freaking love. And here are some throat spray from Jane Barlow. That's awesome. And here are some other stuff. And I used it in a pit, like in a short term high dose, right? Like I'm going to give you this three times per day for the next few days until at least the symptoms subside and then a little longer. And then I'm going to do a little repair and repopulation and you're going to be good to go. And he's like, really fantastic. He's like annoying his sisters in his usual fashion, right? And he's like totally good. But I still feel the lymph nodes are swollen. And actually that's a cool symptom in general. I have to realize my kids have my genetics. And so I see, I've seen this talked about in Facebook groups. They're like, oh, my kids' lymph nodes are really swollen. That is a small sign. You know, my entire life growing up, 
they'd be like, man, you got big tonsils. I don't know why, but you got really big tonsils. Hmm. That is, my immune system was not amazing. My genetics were not amazing. I now use any swelling in my lymph nodes as a diet, as like a tool of like, hmm. Same here. Do I have, have I been doing stuff that's like flaring? Like I've paid attention to this with food, with exposure to alcohol, all kinds of things. I'm like, just pay attention to this. Cause like I grew up with like larger lymph nodes and I care about this because I care about the lymph system a ton, right? Another detoxification channel, which if you have skin issues, yep. better be caring about. And how do you know that lymph needs to be supported a little bit more in eczema? You got a rash in your armpit and you're growing probably maybe under your breasts because that's where yeah. our lymph nodes are really clustered. And so I was just a little crap like that. How do we remember all that unless we have a conversation like that? For me, I'm like, how am I supposed to remember to tell you all of this unless it pops up? I don't know. Like, can we record this somewhere and put it out to the world? Fantastic. Let's do that. We are. <laughs> done and done. So anyway, I hope that was useful a little bit. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, just like paying attention to lymph nodes. I mean, I try to take like a non-crazy approach to everything, right? It's like, oh, just paying attention to how my body responds to that. Do I need to be supportive? I think another mantra of mine is, you can always be supportive. <laughs> you can always be more supportive than aggravating. And so sometimes when people are DIYing things, they tend to like Google and just like do aggravating things and like take oregano oil. I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's a real great idea if you don't really know what you're doing personally, unless you're doing this micro dosing thing. But I see people who have been doing stuff like that for a long time. And then they're creating the same thing as antibiotic resistance in their body, which is what I think yeah. is herbal antimicrobial. I see that with berberine. I see people taking berberine that makes where sense. they were told that they have. That makes sense. Gut stuff or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or on the flip side, berberine for blood sugar, right? They have high insulin, high blood sugar. So yeah, exactly. Their mm-hmm. practitioner, or maybe they saw it on social media, read a blog, they started taking berberine and now lo and behold, they have all sorts of gut issues because it is... Yeah, an antimicrobial. Yeah, quite the lawnmower to the gut. So you have to be careful. Yeah, that's a great statement. I think also if you're thinking about your own health as you're like trying to learn about things and add them, sometimes I see people, and this is, I'm sure you've seen this as well. Sometimes people come in with this long list of supplements. I'm like, all right, this is going to take a while to go through. And it's like, because I I think ultimately no one really wants to be on a bajillion supplements. I think you want to be on the fewest things and get the most ROI. So I try to practice how I, like a normal, how I feel like people are in general, like a realistic human being. <laughs> and right, so right. what I see, I'm like, okay, so how are you doing on, like, why are you on this? Oh, I heard about it. And I was like, okay, when did you go on it? Three years ago. Okay, how's that working for you? I'm not really sure I see a difference. Okay, maybe we'll just put that on the side right now, right? You should be able to maybe tell. I just have concern. I always like put a question mark on, do you need anything long-term forever? And I think it's nuanced. You can work with your provider on that. But I just ask you as you're assessing your own stuff, we create accidental damage from dosing things long-term and not considering the downstream effect. I mean, even nutrients that are like healthy, it's like those have an interaction with other nutrients, right? (laughs) And so you can be more synergistic. And that's like how I feel I've moved completely. And that feels the most important is like, how can I be the most synergistic and holistic and have everything be in synergy so you're not... Anyway, that's a totally different tangent, but... I was talking, or I was listening to a speaker last weekend who was talking about B vitamins. And he said, he was an integrative oncologist. And he said, everyone's taking their B vitamins all the time. And I warn them, it's you're getting high doses in the body. And he said, the number one feedback I get is, no, no, B vitamins are water soluble. I pee them out. He said, no, but you take them every day. You're taking them every day. So you're creating a high B vitamin environment every day. Do you need that? Are you sure you need that? You're not taking it like, once a week or three times a week, or when you feel like you need it, when your stress is higher, when your immune system's down, Mm -hmm. you're taking it every day, creating a high B vitamin environment. And I was like, you go. Yeah. Just because they're water soluble, Mm -hmm. you just replenish it the next day. You just keep going and going and going. And it's the same thing. I'm, I definitely, people ask me all the time, but supplements, do you take them every day? I said, no, God, no. I didn't take any today. Mostly because I forgot. Yeah. I don't take stuff every day because I'm mostly lazy, but. Right. I don't often take them on the (laughs) weekends. I am a big believer in breaks. Now, if I was acutely treating something yes. and I needed to take it every day, that's different. But when somebody says, do I take, the only thing I take every day, I'm not going to lie, is magnesium. I feel amazing when I take magnesium every day. It makes a huge difference. I can tell. And I can tell when I don't take it. So whatever the reason, whatever's going on with me, whatever, I'll take magnesium. But sure. my people go, oh, your B vitamins, your probiotics, you must take them every day. You're in functional medicine. I said, I sure don't. I like breaks. <laughs> I sure don't take them every day. I like breaks too. I like breaks and I like to know how your body is just like, so I'm drinking coffee right now because I like the taste of it. Not because I need the energy or any, like I have no interest in the caffeine content. 
I just like the taste of it. And so I think it's just good to ask ourselves, like, why am I using this? Mm -hmm. Do I see a difference from it? How do I feel off of it? Because what's my baseline? And actually about on the topic of timelines, so I think is useful to talk about really quick. I think we can clear up a lot of issues in a few months. I really do. Like if we're doing Mm -hmm. things correctly in the right order, aggressively. And then I think that you're going to continue to work on healing in some capacity for several more months, Mm -hmm. maybe a year. Like if I talk, I like to talk obscenely about adequate digestion to the point where I'm not going to be able to give it any lip service here. And like, I'm just letting you know, it's very essential. And so I talk ad nauseum about really proper digestion and I talk about, but you can get to a really great point where you're like so much better in the very, very short term, but you have to keep supporting your digestion for the next year because you created lifestyle things, et cetera, where you were not digesting. I have this embarrassing story that in college, I was in school for nutrition. In college, my classmates would say, It's amazing. She can finish her food first and talk the most out of everyone. And now I look back on them like, that is so embarrassing. Awesome. Thank you. Like I (laughs) did a terrible job digest that time. Another little whisper from that history. Right. Hindsight's 2020, right? Right. All the time. Right. So. Well, the last question I have before we wrap up, because I know we get this, you probably get this all the time with eczema is food. Mm -hmm. Is it food related? Are there specific foods? Do you find that food is a big trigger for kids or adults? And what food? (laughs) Yeah, I feel really strongly about this because my practice started with food removal and it could have been in it, Mm -hmm. but I was doing things afterwards to correct what was going on in the GI and I had success with it. But more importantly now, people are on these like really restrictive diets long-term or I did this to myself actually when I was broken out. I went on a restrictive diet and when I was trying to come off, I actually got worse. Mm -hmm. So that was part of the story too I should have talked about. So I feel really strongly about this. My like... One of my, not we adjust food. You can get good mileage from adjusting food. You sure can, right? Like let's do some rules of thumb that are sustainable. Eat whole foods, eat enough food, digest your food really well, drink a lot of hydration and mineralize it. Like there's a lot of good rules of thumb that are super sustainable. Eliminating the jillion foods, right? Like if you focus on like what you should do and what you shouldn't instead of what you shouldn't do, that's great. I actually think like eating whole foods is gonna be best for someone who's got like liver dominant stuff because you need a ton of nutrients. I like to joke about like getting a lot of GAPS diet dropouts because that's a very high histamine diet. And so their eczema is getting worse on that diet, even though it's like, but this is supposed to be gut healing. I'm on this broth, whatever. It's all like dandelions and rainbows if everything is working well in the gut and the liver, right? So yes, there are food triggers. Gluten and dairy can be huge triggers. I was certainly triggered by those and I got over it. Yay, right? Because I supported all these other things. So you can do, if you're gonna do, if I was gonna keep this brief, I actually like wrote a cookbook about, I do not make any money from this, but like the whole premise that was do it all at once if you can, because then it's not like this drawn out thing. The thing that hurts my soul is like when people are like, well, I remove this and then I did this for a month and then I do this. And here I am two years later, restricting all this crap. And it's like, did you think that maybe this isn't working? Like you wake up at some point and you're like, actually, this isn't really working mm-hmm. for me. And I actually don't feel happy. I think happiness trumps everything. Fair enough. But anyway, yeah, food can have an impact. But I think when the gut and liver is out of whack, it's more of an issue. And my whole thing is like, what can we do without being over-restrictive? And yes, there are... like In general, the top eight are worth exploring if you can do it all at once and then re-add. And I think of food restrictions for like a few weeks, not a few months. Because people go and they're like, I've been on this restriction thing for like three to six months. And I was like, I don't think this is a good idea. That's a very brief version of my opinion. And especially if they're not noticing the difference, right? Especially if they're like... Exactly. That's my issue. It's like... I'm three months in. I've given up all these... You should see a difference in a few weeks. Yeah. You should see a difference in a few weeks. And then you need to move on. Yeah. So, you mean, we could talk about that for a while. Now, a difference may not be... Cleared. Obviously. Complete cure. Yeah, that's the problem too. Right. But a different in a few weeks, you might be like... Oh my gosh, I, I'm like noticing a difference, mm-hmm. whatever percentage that looks like. Definitely, I've had people who've said, I think people need to catalog their symptoms. Yeah. And I think because we don't catalog things well, we actually can't see when things get better because we, we hyper focus on negative. Yeah. Our brain does, it's our primitive yeah. reptilian brain. So, unless you like document it, you actually don't know. And I mean, I require that if I'm going to work with someone, because otherwise, if I was going by subjective everything, it's going to be on how good of an emotionally and mentally someone is <laughs> instead yeah. of objectively how it is. So, anyway. That's the truth. Yeah. Well, okay. Given that this is the Root Cause Medicine podcast, hence the neon sign behind me, and we've been talking about eczema, what are the top like one or two things you want people to leave with this today? Whether it's a concept or a thing they can do or anything, what they talk to their doctor about as it relates to eczema. What's the top one or two, three things that you're like, gosh, 
really just know this. All right. Well, make sure you don't have an active staph infection or you'll be miserable, first of all. Mm. Two, write down, I always ask people, and I say this on a lot of podcasts, it's like, what can you do today? You can write down a bullet point history of when this started. Because by the way, when you do that, one, you're either going to help your practitioner help you a lot faster and a lot better, especially depending on what you've done. Like write down what you did, how it worked, It just bullet points, one pager. And sometimes you're going to see like, oh my gosh, there actually was a pattern, right? I think that's super valuable. And then go like look up multiple symptom questionnaire or symptom survey and fill that out and see how many other things are popping up that are whispers because the eczema is probably a bit of a scream. It could be a whisper, but it's probably more of a scream and there's probably other stuff. And I personally would like more things to look at because then you can see all those things getting better. So, and don't restrict your diet for like ever and ever and ever. Look at it from like a happy perspective, like eatful. So anyway, that was more like four things, but I hope that was helpful. No, it's very helpful. That was All right, good. great. I mean, I you know, when people have eczema, if it's super, super mild or they're like, yeah, it's a little bit of dry skin, they don't really worry about it. But when you've got eczema that's interfering with your life, mm-hmm. that's awful. Yeah. When it's your child and it's all over their body. Yeah, and your sleep is being disrupted. It's a huge problem. And it's miserable for everybody involved. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's totally a problem. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I care about it. Oh my goodness. For sure. <laughs> I just want more people to work on this area and do a good job. Please and thank you. So speaking of which, (laughs) where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you? Say the name of your podcast again. (laughs) Yeah, the name of my podcast is The Less Stressed Life Podcast. And I'm really having like a personal movement where I just feel like I want to be very generous and like go over how to interpret tests and all these things on the... Mm -hmm. I think I've relied a lot on interviews the past several years. And now I'm like moving into a transition of like, let me just peel back the curtains and like tell you all the things. That's just like where I feel like I am in my life. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think like... It's also like a pay it forward feeling. So that's where I'm at. I'm at kristabigler.com and you can find everything you need from there. But if you go to the podcast, since you're a podcast listener, that would be awesome. I would, and let me know if came there. F- and social media. Oh yeah. And I'm anti-inflammatory nutritionist on social media. So I always forget about that because I'm more of a yapper, but we do put out, I think some good content on social media. So anti-inflammatory nutritionist, if you're over there. Wonderful. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for letting me talk about this. Yeah. Clearly you're passionate. So this has been fantastic. Yeah. I could talk about this all day. So if you get more follow-up questions, happy to like go through and case review those and all those things. So that's amazing. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you again for being on. Yeah. You bet. It was good to see you. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.